We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, August the 19th, 2021. Today's show, we start with updates from fall campus, guys. Things continue to evolve as we sit now just 16 days away from the beginning of the Shane Beamer era. Guys, I'll break down some of the latest from fall camp, including a new quarterback taking snaps under center, the injury bug hitting the Gamecocks defensive front, also some other news and notes from there as well. Also on today's show, guys, we continue along with the 2021 position unit preview series. Guys, today we are breaking down the Gamecocks kickers and punters heading into 2021 football season. Guys, first things first, we'll look back at how the kickers and punters fared in 2020. We'll meet the kickers and punters for this year's squad. Also, most approved, best overall, season will be successful if, and I'll give my overall grade for the unit heading into 2021 football season. Also, guys, news and notes, your listener questions, and we have a fantastic interview today, guys. Another throwback interview all the way back from December of 2018. Former Gamecocks quarterback and current tight ends coach Eric Kimry joined me way back in the day, way back in the early days of the Spurs Up show to talk about his South Carolina career, being a coach, Really, really good stuff, guys. An interview I wanted to make sure we got out here ahead of the kickoff for the 2021 football season. So, again, Eric Kimry joining me, an interview you are sure to enjoy, folks. Sit back, relax, and enjoy because it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention that companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company. And they're also employee-owned co-op. Their members are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
to school, back to school to prove to dad I'm not a fool. Folks, happy Thursday and happy first day of class to any Gamecocks out there, anybody else who may be beginning this fall semester in 2021. Best of luck to you all. Again, appreciate you all tuning in. I'm Chris Phillips. Here's the Spurs Up show as a Always. Again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. Hope this finds you well, no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you've got the day off. Or like I said, maybe, just maybe, you're in class with your headphones in, tuned in to the Spurs Up show. Good on you. Guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. We have got a packed show, a lot to get into here on a Thursday. First things first, though, guys, before we get rolling. I want to express my gratitude yet again to you all, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you did not see just a couple of days ago, you know, a lot of people have been asking me about our plans for this season, whether it be home games, road games, you know, whatever it may be. And that has started to take shape, as you may have seen on social media just a couple of days ago. I'm very excited and proud to announce, in case you missed it, the Spurs Up show, we have officially locked in a partnership for this 2021 football season with Carolina Alehouse for the Gamecocks road games. So all of the road games, we will be throwing watch parties, doing live pregame and postgame shows from their multiple locations across the state of South Carolina. So not just Columbia, they've got locations in Greenville, Somerville, Myrtle Beach. Of course, guys, details will be coming very, very soon for each of the Gamecocks road games, where we'll be, what time, all that good stuff. But again, very excited for this official partnership. It is locked in with Carolina Alehouse. And again, guys, I tell you all, thank you, because without your love and support and you guys you know, rocking with us, you know, continue to support the content and show love to the content and tune into all the content and, and interact and be engaging, man. I, I almost am at a loss for words because without you guys, without the love and support, none of this would be possible, man. And as we sit here 16 days away from kickoff and, you know, it's, it's, there's going to be a lot of people tuning in and we love it, right? A lot of new people tuning in that really just cut it on when football season starts and kind of cut it off once the season's over, whatever. And that's totally fine. But For those, I I truly, I'm eternally grateful for those who have just continued to week after week, day after day, continue to tune in the content throughout the preseason. Thank you all so much because, again, it's because of you and the positive momentum we've built through the preseason coming up on the regular season that we're able to lock in and take advantage of an opportunity like this with Carolina Alehouse. So, again, appreciate the folks at Carolina Alehouse for giving us the opportunity. I truly, truly am so eternally grateful for you all for continuing to rock with us Rock with the content, support what we do, man. It it, it means the world. It means more than you can ever know. And again, really, really excited to, you know, partake on this journey with you all. That is the beginning of the Shane Beamer era. And folks, that's what we're here to talk talk about, right? We're here to talk about South Carolina football. So without further ado, let's dive into it, guys. And we're going to start with updates from fall camp. Because I'll tell you guys this. This has not been a boring fall camp that is for sure when it comes to news and updates and Shane Beamer speaking to the media and just a lot of moving pieces I feel like in this fall camp so of course we're recording this on Wednesday morning so we're we're talking about a lot of the updates that happened on Tuesday afternoon and Shane Beamer unexpectedly by the way spoke to the media and had about an eight or nine minute media availability and wanted to update people on the quarterback position and who's taking snaps and all that. And guys, like I said, it's been a very, and we're only like 10 or 11 practices in, right? It's been a very interesting and almost, dare I say, auspicious start 
to South Carolina's fall camp. First things first, the name Zeb Norland before two days ago meant nothing to anyone. Now we find out Zeb Norland is taking snaps under center with the injury to Luke Doty. Shane Beamer saying on Tuesday afternoon it is for the depth of the quarterback position because he said right now they only have three quarterbacks working out right now, which is Colton Gauthier, Jason Brown, and Connor Jordan. They add Zeb Norland into the mix. And I know everybody's like, oh, my God, is this guy going to win the job? What does it mean? A guy, Zeb Norland, hey, he played his football at Iowa State, then North Dakota, North Dakota State. And if you're not familiar – was a GA, joined the staff, I believe, in late June or early July, if you will, as a graduate assistant on Shane Beamer's staff. So what does it mean? Is this a guy that's actually going to take snaps? Guys, until Shane Beamer says that, really, and I know he said that, you know, if he competes and he, he wins the job, he earns playing time, whatever, but Shane Beamer, I felt like, made it pretty clear that this is a depth thing. You know, you, you can't practice with only three quarterbacks working out. Um you know, you, you can't practice only three guys working out. And with Luke Doty's injury and him being out for a couple of weeks, you need somebody else to take reps and get other guys reps. Your receivers need reps, your running backs, your everybody, your tight ends, everybody needs reps, and you need multiple quarterbacks to do so. And I want to touch on a couple of points and then get back to my main point, by the way. Um, outside of that, Rick Sandage dealing with a lower body injury. We started to hear the, hear the rumors. It sounds like he's going to miss some significant time. Uh, the hot rumor on the streets was he has a broken leg. But I think, guys, what we all learned, by the way, over the weekend is do not run with a rumor until it is you know, deemed official and made official by Shane Beamer and those involved because we saw how that can backfire. Over the weekend, but Rick Sandage most certainly out with a lower body injury. Shane Beamer saying he's going to be out for a little bit longer than they anticipated. Also, EJ Jenkins wasn't at practice Tuesday. I feel like that, that's something that sort of went under the radar. EJ Jenkins dealing with personal issues, but Shane Beamer saying he should be back much sooner rather than later. I say all of that to say this, folks. Because, again, there's only so much we can really dive into fall camp because we're not out there. Practices are closed. I mean, there's not a lot you can really take away outside of what Shane Beamer and the players are saying in their media availability. And they're not really revealing anything, I think, that is, that is earth-shattering or, or, or groundbreaking, if you will. But what I would say to the Gamecocks fan base and say to you guys is this. <laughs> and it, it applies to fall camp in this first season under Shane Beamer as well, right? The preseason's been great. Shane Beamer crushed the preseason. He killed it. Positive energy, positive momentum. And I think we're still feeling that. That's still going on right now. But guys, when it comes to on the field, because again, it's it's been an auspicious start to fall camp from Luke Doty's injury to a graduate assistant literally putting on the jersey and now practicing to the exit of Karan Prunty to, you know, now you've got Rick Sandage and other guys getting banged up with injuries. Guys, it's going to be a little bit of a wacky season, a wacky first season with Shane Beamer. And again, this is not doom and gloom as Coach Beamer would label. And again, I loved his messaging on Saturday. We talked about it on the Monday show, but it's just the reality of where you are as a football team and where you are as a roster. This is a very makeshift roster right now. Again, I don't want to make that sound like there's not talent on this roster because there is. But in year one, Shane Beamer's first year as a head coach with a roster that they sort of plugged and played together and got a lot of guys out of the transfer portal. And let's call it for what it is. This is going to be his worst roster in Columbia. And that's not meant to insult the guys on the roster, but it should be, right? Because he's going to build, he's going to recruit, he's going to develop. 
So I would just say this, Gamecock fans, just buckle up and roll with the punches because I know it feels very like – it just feels very like, you know, I don't want to say disarray. That's such a negative word, but it – it's sort of all over the place. Like I said, it's been an auspicious start to fall camp. And again, the Zeb Norland thing is just the latest thing. Like, are we really going to have a guy competing for the starting job and damn near winning the starting job that wasn't even on the roster at the start of fall camp? So again, guys, I would just say to Gamecock fans and you guys, just roll with the punches. Roll with the punches. Um, you know, this is this is going to be a very interesting First season with Shane Beamer as he tries to plug and play and just get the most he can out of this roster. But just buckle up and uh, keep expectations realistic. That's what I would say. Again, it, that's not being doom and gloom, but you, you have to take a realistic look at your roster and at your football team. When you're having some of the things happen, the Gamecocks are having happen, it's because the state your roster's in, bottom line. And, uh, you know, again, it, it, we, we can't really take anything concrete away from fall camp and what's happening on field because we're not out there. We're not watching fall camp. We're not, we're not watching any film or anything like that. We're just going off what coaches and players are saying. But I, I just – I was looking at it the other day, and I'm just like, man, this has just been like a really, really wacky start to fall camp. But, again, when you're in year one of a new head coach and – you're in year one of him trying to, like I said, revamp this roster. And there's just going to be a lot of moving pieces and a lot of things. I think a lot of moves made that we're kind of like, huh? Like we're scratching our head a little bit. But Shane Beamer is trying to work this thing, get the most out of the roster, win now, trust Coach Beamer, all aboard the Shane train, keep this thing moving. Roll with the punches, though, because, guys, I'll tell you this, without diving too much and going on a rant, if you will, the number one goal of this season is this. Hey, I want to see South going to make a bowl game, and I'm, I'm locked in at 6-6, six and six, right? And that would be a successful season, no question. Now, I'll tell you this, guys. I, there's nothing wrong with having hopes and dreams of eight or nine wins, but if your sights aren't set on just getting to six wins and getting to a bowl, if, if that to you, if you can't sit there and say, you know, that would be a successful year, you really need to change your expectations, okay? Six and six or better is a phenomenal year one. For Shane Beamer. But it doesn't matter if you win four games, five games, six games, seven games, whatever it might be. The number one goal for Shane Beamer in this season is to get to this point or get to the preseason next season with the same positive energy and the same positive momentum that we saw all throughout this summer. That's the number one goal. As long as you can do that, you can continue to have success on the recruiting trail and build your program and, and, and do a lot of positive things within your program. That's your number one goal. And again, you don't even have to get the six wins to do that, but that's the number one goal. Guys, like I said, I don't want to say this is a ragtag roster because it makes it sound like we have no talent, which is false, but there are so many question marks and so many things to figure out and so many guys, let's call it for what it is, guys, that are unproven. I mean, we're going through these position units. There are so many position units that have massive, massive question marks. You're going to continue to see, I think, just sort of some of these wacky things that have been happening. I, I think some of it, honestly, is some of the remnants left of the previous regime. And, and that's something where, you know, Shane Beamer's having to change the culture. He's having to shift things. He's having to change things. So, like I said, be patient with Shane Beamer. I think this first season, I mean, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. But I think it's going to be a little wacky. I think it's going to be a little wacky. I think it's going to be a little bit all over the place at times. So, again, guys, you know, we're hearing things from fall camp, these updates. And, again, I just saw a lot of fans 
scratching their heads over the Zeb Norland news and, you know, who is this new quarterback and are we really going to start a guy that, you know, hadn't played football in a while or a guy that wasn't even on the roster, I should say, at the beginning of fall camp? Is that really what's going to happen? You know, people are trying to draw you know, conclusions of, oh, Shane Beamer doesn't feel good about Jason Brown or Colton Gauthier. It's why, guys, drawing conclusions right now, is very dangerous. Drawing conclusions about a head coach who's never been a head coach and he's in his first year is very dangerous as well. Like I said, guys, trust in Shane Beamer. Get on the Shane train and just buckle up. I know things seem a little wacky now. Hey, this is what you got to go through early on in a new tenure. This is what you got to go through. This is going to be what it is. And uh, hey, we're all in this thing together. We're all along for the ride together. So I'm sure that uh, hopefully, I'll say this, hopefully fall camp, Hopefully fall camp is not quite as eventful as it has been to this point. Because like I told you guys before, no news is great news in fall camp because no news means nobody got hurt. You know, nobody's having a bad camp, at least as far as we know. You know, it's just, it's been a very, been a very strange start to fall camp. And we're only 11 practices. And they, 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 they have 15 more practices. They have 15 more practices. So, um, you know, Hopefully it's not quite as eventful, but like I said, guys, just buckle in because as you change the culture and as you change things in Columbia and as Shane Beamer changes his program, I think there are going to be just some kind of strange things, if you will, or things that feel strange that go on, but it's part of the process. It's part of the process. Let's lock in. Let's ride the Shane train all aboard. See you in 16 days, September the 4th against Eastern Illinois. All right, with that being said, guys, we'll get off of that. Let's continue with our 2021 Position unit preview series, guys. Today's show, we are talking the Gamecocks, kickers, and punters. Yes, showing the special teams boys some love here on a Thursday. Kickers and punters, guys, an area that, again, I've been really surprised in the preseason how Beamer Ball, the specialist, special teams as a whole, has not been talked about more. And, guys, you think about it. I mean, Beamer Ball literally comes from you know, Frank Beamer and his success at VaTech and what they did in special teams. So you would think for kickers and punters, and this is a position that returns a lot of experience for South Carolina this season, it should be a strength for you as Pete Limbo and Shane Beamer bring this group into this season. Before we look at this season, guys, let's look back at the 2020 season for the Gamecocks, kickers, and punters. Parker White, 11-19 on field goals, 59 total points for him. Kai Kroger in the punting game had a phenomenal season as a freshman, 39 punts, a 43.3 average, a 53 long, and downed eight punts inside the 20-yard line. And also Mitch Jeter, your kickoff specialist, 41 total kickoffs, 22 touchbacks a season ago. Let's move to 2021, guys, and meet the kickers and punters heading into this 2021 football season, guys. We'll start with kicker and punter William Joyce, the freshman, sophomore punter Kai Kroger, redshirt senior place kicker Parker White, redshirt sophomore place kicker Alex Herrera, redshirt junior place kicker Cole Hanna, and sophomore place kicker Mitch Jeter. All right, let's move into most to prove, best overall, season will be successful if, and I'll give my overall grade for the unit. And guys, we'll start with most to prove. And this one might surprise some people a little bit. And I'll say this, by the way, guys, when we're doing these for kickers and punters, you know, there's only so many guys to pick kick or pick from, I should say, excuse me. There's only so many guys to pick from because you've got one kicker, you've got one punter, you've got one kickoff specialist. And those are the guys who are going to do all of the work, right? I mean, it's, it's not a position where like you have multiple guys that kick and multiple guys that punt. No, you're, you're set on your guys. And we know at this point who the starters are. Let's call it for what it is. We know who your guys are at this point. Um, 
But when I talk most approved, this is a guy you say to yourself, well, Chris, he is proven. I mean, the guy's a redshirt senior. What else could he have to prove? But after going 11 of 19 a, se- a season ago, excuse me, 11 of 19 a season ago, and a guy who, although he's just 70 points away from setting the all-time scoring record in Columbia, a, a guy that has battled some inconsistencies, call it for what it is, whether that's mental, whether that's bad coaching, being put in bad positions and being asked to kick kicks that he probably shouldn't have, or whatever it might be, who knows. But when you're looking at this Gamecocks football team and a team that is going to be fighting, scratching, and clawing to get to six wins and get to a bowl game, having your kicker, and specifically your kicker, Parker White, make his field goals, put points on the board, and be somebody and something you can depend on is going to be pivotal in this season. So my most approved is kicker Parker White. Again, Parker, he's been solid. Not his best year last year, 11 and 19. And again, I think there's multiple reasons for that. I, I think we all agree the previous staff and the previous regime many, many times asked him to kick kicks that I think, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, 47, 48 yards, maybe 49. If he's inside 50, he's pretty damn solid. But this is a staff that should not be kicking him, asking him to kick a field goal longer than 50 yards because he has proven he's extremely inconsistent. If you're fourth and I'd say four, maybe fourth and five or shorter, and you're in that range of 50 to 55-yard field goal, I think you have to go for it. And that's no disrespect to Parker White that he doesn't have the leg or anything like that, but you're just going off the statistics. You got to put all of your players in the best possible position to succeed, and that includes your kicker, Parker White. So again. Can he hit that 70 points number? Guys, I talked about this when we broke down special teams a few weeks ago. Parker White in his seasons at South Carolina has averaged around 70 points per season. So he's averaged right at that number. And again, like I said, how how could a guy that is about to break a record have the most to prove? It's all about consistency and being an option and being a facet of the game that Shane Beamer, Pete Limbo, and this team can depend on. So again, my most approved for the 2021 football season when it comes to kickers and punters, your veteran kicker, Parker White. Let's move into best overall, guys. And I'll tell you this. Going into last season, one of my biggest question marks was how does South Carolina replace Joseph Charlton? And again, I know talking kickers and punters and all that, guys, it's not the sexiest thing in the world. But South Carolina fans, I feel like we're a fan base. We should really appreciate what special teams can bring to your football team. And we should appreciate a good punter. Because I'll tell you what, when you have other deficiencies on your football team, and especially if your offense is struggling, having a punter that can flip the field for you and give you a chance defensively is, is you can't say enough good things about that. And Kai Kroger proved himself to be that guy a season ago. Again, 39 punts a 43.3-yard average, 53 long, and eight downed inside the 20-yard line. Kai Kroger turned himself into a weapon for the Gamecocks in special teams. And the guy was named a freshman All-SEC, had a phenomenal year, and Kai Kroger looks to be the next big-time punter in Columbia. So, again, the best overall to me is Kai Kroger. Again, a kid that I think is only going to get better. He's only going to get stronger. I expect him to have even an even better year this season. And, again, someone that, you know, the question last year, can you replace Joseph Charlton? I think Kai Kroger can do that. And I think he did that last year. And I think he'll continue 
to do that this year. And guys, how much better do you think this kid's going to be under Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo? You know, I, I, I said before, I think the, the coaching for the Gamecock special teams, there probably won't be a more, a better coached unit in all the country than South Carolina. So again, my best overall, again, a guy that I really like, a kid that I think is going to be a big asset this year for you when you're trying to flip the field and when you're trying to give your defense a chance to make big plays, your punter, Kai Kroger, my best overall for the Gamecocks, kickers and punters going this 2021 football season. All right, let's talk. Season will be successful if. What will spell a successful season for the Gamecocks, kickers and punters going into this fall? And for me, it's very, very simple. Like I said, I'm very confident in Kai Kroger. By the way, I'm confident in all these guys. I'm confident in all of these guys. You know, I think you're in a really, really good spot when it comes to special teams as a whole. But no doubt, for the Gamecocks, kickers, and punters, the season will be successful if Parker White sets the record. Bottom line. And like I said earlier, he needs 70 points to set the all-time scoring record. If Parker White has 70 points, if he breaks that record, that will probably also mean that Parker White had a pretty damn good year kicking the football. And listen, is Parker White going to make every kick that he hits? You know, probably not. Kickers miss. I mean, it's, it's, you know, they do. They're human. Most guys miss at least one in a season. But if he's able to break that record, what it's going to tell me is that, hey, South Carolina was also scoring a lot of touchdowns. You hope a lot of those points or most of those points or all those points come off extra points and not too many field goals. But again, it will show that he was consistent. He was somebody that South kind of could depend on. And guys, like I said, you just cannot – you cannot say enough things about the value of having a kicker like that. Because, again, South Carolina is going to be playing a lot of close ball games, right? They're going to be fight, scratching, and clawing for six wins. And you got a new head coach. you got a new OC. you got a new DC. you got a new everything, right? Brand-new coaching staff. So everybody's going to be learning as we go. And your offense, hey, I think the offense is going to be much improved. But it might take a couple of weeks for that adjustment period and learning, hey, who are our guys on the outside, you know, uh, you know, what's the running back situation like? What's the quarterback situation like, God forbid? And so when you can get points, you need to cash in. You need to capitalize. And so if Parker White sets the record, if that happens, I mean, number one, it'll be a great accomplishment for a dude who, you know, I think we can all really respect the path of Parker White's career at South Carolina because he's battled adversity. I mean, he's gone through the ups and downs. Who can forget the start of his career when he couldn't hit anything and he hits the game winner against Louisiana Tech, right? So the season will be successful for the Gamecocks punters and kickers if Parker White simply can set the record and get his name on the turnstiles at Williams-Brice Stadium. All right, let's talk overall grade and wrap this thing up, guys. Like I told you, long story short, I feel good about the Gamecock specialist heading in this season. I think it will be a strength for South Carolina. Like I said, I think Kai Kroger is the next big-time punter for you. I think, Mix, I think Mitch Jeter, by the way, has done a really, really good job on kickoffs. I have no issues with that. And then Parker White. You know, I, I have to think as a redshirt senior, um, a guy that decided to return for this season, I, I think he is, he, is, he is primed for his best season as a Gamecock. I think a new coaching staff and a new philosophy and having Pete Limbo and Shane Beamer, I think is going to be massive for not just him, but all these guys, but especially for Parker White and his confidence because, guys, it's all mental, right? We're, I'm sure there's many golfers that are tuned into this. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there's many golfers. You guys know, man, it's all mental. It's just like being a golfer, being a kicker. It's all about rhythm and confidence. And, dude, if you're, if you're in your own head, <clears throat> if you're lined up and you're in your own head when you're about to hit a kick and, 
the odds are you're going to miss it. You know what I mean? So um, I, I think the, the, you know, the additions of Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo and a brand new philosophy and a brand new scheme, if you will, and that, that coaching and being in his ear, I think that's going to be a huge, huge beneficiary or beneficial to Parker White, Kai Kroger, this entire unit. So my overall grade, guys, for the Gamecocks, kickers, and punters, like I said, I think this is a strength. I'm going to give them an A. I'm going to give them an A. I, I don't think they get nearly as much respect as they should. I think you've got, you know, two guys in your punter and kicker that I think are all conference type of dudes. We already saw Kai Kroger do it last year. And again, I think Parker White is a guy that is a redshirt senior prime to have his best season. I think he will. Um, I think he will be very dependable for South Carolina. I think Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo will have an immediate positive impact on the Gamecocks specialists this season. So again, my overall grade for the Gamecocks kickers and punters going in this 2021 football season, give me an A. I think they're a strength on this football team this year. So again, guys, that's going to do it for the position unit preview for the kickers and punters heading into 2021 football season. All right, guys, let's get into news and notes and then your listener questions. And then we have our interview. Guys, first things first, Gamecock fans, give yourselves a pat on the back because Gamecocks Online posted on Tuesday afternoon that the school has set a school record for new football season tickets. Carolina fans have purchased 8,370 new season tickets for the 2021 season with three weeks remaining before the opening kickoff set for September the 4th against Eastern Illinois. So Gamecock fans, good job. The best, most loyal fans in the entire country, and nobody is surprised at that. Also, <clears throat> Yardcocks, big pickup for the Yardcocks, 2024 left-handed pitcher and first baseman Bo Hollins committing to Mark Kingston's team. And I'll tell you this, guys, this is a kid that I had a couple of people DM me, and they're like, dude, Chris, Bo Hollins, he might never step foot on campus. That's how good this kid is. So, again, hopefully he does, but a really nice pickup for Mark Kingston and company. All right, let's move into your listener questions, guys. We'll start with Tate1111 underscore. He says, do we expect to see a lot of fakes and special special teams plays this year? Um, are we going to see a lot of fakes? I don't know if we'll see a lot of fakes, but again, I think Beamer Ball, the impact of Beamer Ball will be felt early. That It will be felt. The impact will be felt early. How early? In what way? I don't know. But I, I don't know that you're going to see so many fakes, but yes, blocking kicks, blocking field goals, um, I mean, I, I would most certainly think, man, with, again, it being Shane Beamer's expertise and Pete Limbo being one of the best in the entire country, I think we are certainly going to feel the impact of Beamer Ball at some point this season. I'll tell you this. I think that at some point this season, Beamer Ball will positively impact the outcome of a game for South Carolina. It will. I do believe that. Um, Krusty Andy says, I heard Parker White kicked a football once over a mountain. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Last question, S.Rush7, thoughts on Zeb Nolan? I mean, I don't even hardly know what to think of it. I'll tell you this, guys, by the way. I went back and watched some of his highlights because, you know, Shane Beamer brought up the 2018 Iowa State-Oklahoma game. And Zeb Nolan started that game. And he noted that Oklahoma beat them in a shootout. And I went back and watched. And Zeb Nolan can spin it. I mean, you know. I know that was a couple of years ago. He was at North Dakota State in the spring, by the way. So he's actually, you know, Beamer also pointed out he's played football more recently in a game than any of the other Gamecocks quarterbacks. Zeb Nolan can spin it. Again, is he realistically a guy who's going to compete for serious reps in week one, two, three, or throughout this, this season at all? I mean, 
guys, there's a reason he was a GA. You know what I mean? Um, it's really hard for me to fathom that a guy that wasn't even on the roster at the start of fall camp is going to be the starting quarterback. I, I don't think that's the case, guys. Luke Doty is the starting quarterback. Luke Doty is going to be the starter the second he's 100% healthy again. So, you know, I go off of what Shane Beamer says. I think Zeb Nolan was added to this roster to provide depth, to help out with reps. I mean, listen, Shane Beamer's right. You can't really run an effective practice and get reps in everybody when you have three quarterbacks. You just can't do it. You got to have more than that. I mean, he made the point, you know, Oklahoma had, had like six or seven, which it's crazy to me that South Carolina doesn't have more quarterbacks out there that can spin it a little bit and, and help out. But that's the point you're at right now. So, um, no, I, you know, it, what a story I guess it would be. But until Shane Beamer indicates otherwise, I think Zeb Nolan is there to, again, just provide depth and to be a practice guy. And, again, if something changes, we'll go from there. But, I, you know, from the highlights I saw, he can spin it, no question. But there's a reason he was a GA and was not on the roster. So, and I think we'll just leave it at that. I, you know, who knows, man? It's it, like I said, guys, just buckle up, roll with the punches. This first fall camp, this first season, it's going to be a little bit wacky. Things are going to be kind of all over the place as Shane Beamer really just tries to figure out his roster and what he has and how can he get the best 22 out there. You know, something like this is just the latest. And again, what's been a very auspicious start to fall camp. But again, I'll tell you this. If you go watch Zeb Nolan's film, he can spin it. He can spin it. Does he realistically compete for the job? I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. But who knows? Who knows? We'll see. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Appreciate you all tuning in. Like I said, guys, so we've done this before, the throwback interviews, if you will. And I really wanted to make sure we got this one out before the start of the football season. So, again, many of you are probably not listening at this point, but I had former Gamecocks quarterback and current tight ends coach, Eric Kimry, on the show way, way back in the day, like December of 2018. And, man, it was a phenomenal, and I mean a phenomenal, conversation and that's the conversation guys we have lined up for you today again Eric Kimry joining me and of course this is when he was at Hammond and way before um way before him being on staff obviously so I mean there's no talk of Shane Beamer or this year's team or anything like that but again this conversation coming to you from December of 2018 and by the way I know this is one you guys have requested a lot so again I think it's one you're going to really enjoy you know Eric's a guy uh, somebody I'm blessed to call a friend first off but knows the game of football in and out I mean a guy that you talk to him about the X's and O's and I mean, you're just like, whoa, this dude is a mad scientist when it comes to talking football and talking offense especially. So, again, guys, a great conversation, great interview with former Gamecocks quarterback and current tight ends coach Eric Kimry. Guys, thank you all again so much for tuning in. Thank you, truly. I cannot say it enough. Thank you for the continued love and support. Appreciate you guys continuing to rock what we do. Um, and that's going to do it all for me, guys. Thank you all again. Hey, enjoy this conversation. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks quarterback and current tight ends coach, Eric Kemry. Appreciate you coming on. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. So like I said, you've got a podcast now. Um, all Gamecock fans, I would assume, know who you are. But talk a little bit about, obviously, the Fade In podcast. I'm a, I know myself, I'm a weekly listener. You guys do a fantastic job. You've had some of the biggest and best Gamecocks guests I think you think of. Just talk about kind of the show, um, sort of what you guys are doing and what you're doing, kind of the direction with the, uh, with the podcast as a whole. Sure, yeah. Well, you guys is just me 
So <laughs> this is just me doing this. Um, but, you know, for years now, I've wanted to go out and speak publicly about football. Um, you know, I think that people enjoy clinics, uh, particularly like ladies clinics or, or anytime you can get together in an inviting, you know, environment and talk about football, people enjoy it. Um, and I've grown up in the game. Uh, my whole life has been kind of centered around the game of football. When I was born on the first day of two days, actually. My dad had to be pulled <laughs> off of the field uh, to come to the hospital and, uh, you know, just grew up as my dad being a football coach. Uh, my first, uh, I developed my first no huddle offense when I was 12 years old with my little brothers in the front yard. Wow. Um, so we came up with a no huddle system. You know, those old uh, baseball card covers that you could, you know, put your baseball cards in. Mm. Well, we would make plays and tape them to our wrists, and we had, you know, signals, and we had this hurry-up no-huddle offense back in the early 90s with my little brothers in the neighborhood. We didn't wow. lose many games back then. You so, guys were uh, ahead of the times, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but so, anyway, all I have to say is that football has just been integral in my life, and uh, I kind of view the world through the game in a certain extent. And uh, I love talking about the game and talking about the things that, uh, the game affords you to talk about, which is kind of life and, and, and some of the challenges that life presents. Um, so I've been thinking about doing something like this in different forms or fashions for years and finally uh, felt like now was the right time to do it. Um, you know, of course, being around the university and having played there and I've got a lot of relationships with guys that I felt like would be, you know, great to talk to and get their insight. And so more than anything, I'm just trying to pull out their stories, um, their insights about the game, and, and even maybe life lessons around the game. And so we go up uh, to River Rata every Tuesday night right now and sit around the table, have a couple beers and talk about football, and then we record it. So I can't think of something more fun to do. And, you know, it's been well-received so far. No, absolutely, for sure. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's living the dream right there. Um, I want to ask you, because, you know, we've had some mutual guests as far as on our shows, but I want to ask, because, you, you definitely, you have the opportunity to talk to a lot of people within Gamecock football and just Gamecock's athletics that have had a huge impact, whether it's on the field, off the field. Um, do you have one guest or one conversation that maybe sticks out from all the others that you're, you kind of walked away and were like, wow, that was, that was an awesome show? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of them, honestly, and I've been very surprised at some of the things that uh, we've been able to talk about. I think, uh, you know, Andre Goodman's a guy that I just have a lot of admiration for. Um, he is a well-thought-out, deep individual. And when we were talking about the transa transition from his career in the NFL to everyday life and what kind of struggles that entailed, and Perry Orth was on that show, and he, he, he described his struggles as well. And I walked away just thinking, um, yeah, man, that was a good conversation. And I actually had a couple people reach out to me and tell me how much that meant to them. Um, I think anytime you get Brad Lawing on a podcast, it's just, it's <laughs> yeah. just a, it's a fun ride. Yep. And, uh, and Brad just has so much knowledge about the game of football, but also so many stories. Uh, when he told the story about Steve Spurrier inventing the shotgun, so to speak, uh, I mean, just, I mean, you can name a bunch of them, but uh, Brad's always been an exciting guest. I think anytime Ellis Johnson's on, I learned something. Um, so uh, he, he's such a well thought out and respected defensive coach that has so much experience that it's been good for me just to, to pick those guys' brains a little bit. So I couldn't pick out a favorite, but there's been a lot of really, really cool stories. And in last week's podcast, we had Del Wilkes on, who uh, had a professional wrestling career and uh, struggled with addiction to pain pills afterwards, which landed him in jail. And, uh, and he spent some time in jail and was able to turn his life around after that. Um, so it's been really cool. And I've learned a lot 
through the process and, and I'm enjoying doing it right now. That's great stuff, man. It's definitely cool for sure. Cause you talk about like Perry or it's a guy, he's a friend of our show and it, you know, it's really cool. Like you said, when you get people um, sort of in an environment where they're comfortable and they can open up and people just kind of realize, Hey, these are human beings. You know what I mean? You talk about like the daily struggles after football or whatever they're going through. That to me, you know, personally, I know from, from our side of things is a really cool and neat thing just to kind of see, get the human side of things. So really, really awesome stuff. Um, again, it's at fade in, right? You guys are on iTunes. I saw Buzzsprout as well, but you guys yeah. are all over, correct? Right? Yeah, we're on iTunes. We're, you know, you, and I, I tweeted out so you can follow me on Twitter, E-R-I-K-K-M-R-E-Y. But uh, no, you speak to a, a good point there. And it's, oh, I think in the world of fantasy football, we often view athletes as commodities um, when they're very, very complex individuals. And some of the stories and feelings that you can pull out of them you know, can really speak to a lot of the struggles that we have as individuals. So um, that's been a cool element to it. But also, man, there's so many fun stories in the game of football. And that's one of the one, one of the one things I wanted to highlight was I just look back at my career at Carolina and how many untold, like hilarious stories there are about Lou Holtz or Phil Petty or Ryan Brewer and my friends that I played with. And, and when you can kind of dig those out, man, it's kind of like, you know, mining for uh, gold a little bit. So it's been good. Absolutely. So, yep, Eric Kimbrey joining us on the Spurs Up Show. Eric, again, you talk about your time at South Carolina. I want to talk about that. Um, you were with the Gamecocks from 2000 to 2002. You know, I talked about a little bit before, about a month or so ago, with one of your former teammates, Langston Moore, who I know you had on your show as well. Um, but I want to ask you as well, you come to South Carolina. Um, first, I'll start. What made you choose to come to South Carolina? What ultimately was the decision to uh, play your college football in Columbia? Yeah, so I walked on. Um, I had a really good high school career, but I'm six foot one. I probably run a four nine forty with a strong breeze behind my back. Um, so I didn't have a lot of offers. I was going to go to the Naval Academy. They were the biggest school to offer me. And honestly, uh, thought I wanted to be an engineer. My mother's an engineer. I love math. And um, and then Brad Scott, who was a coach at the time, came to me in 1998 and asked me to come walk on. I uh, said, Eric, if you come walk on, we'll put you on scholarship at the end of the year. Um, and so I did that, but we won our first game and lost 10 in a row. And, uh, and, and Coach Scott was unfortunately fired. Well, they bring in this guy named Lou Holtz, who loves to run the option, and had a guy named Tony Rice that ran the triple option at Notre Dame for him. And if you, can, if you saw me, you'd know I'm not an option quarterback just by looking at me. So it took me a couple of years. Well, the first year we were an option run-oriented team, and then the second year in 2000 we moved to the spread. And that's when I was able to move from literally the seventh string quarterback to the second string quarterback. And, um, and that was a really cool turnaround year for us. Absolutely. So getting back to the question that I was talking about, I asked Langston more about, I want to ask you, what was it like playing under coach Holtz? Um, I think he's somebody similar to the, you know, some of the great coaches like coach Spurrier and others that he means something different probably to every player on the roster. Um, what did coach Holtz mean to you? You know, I think your relationship with every coach is very complex. Um, there's things that you would do, and there's things that you wouldn't do. Uh, I think the further I've gotten away from my career, the more I appreciate the things that Coach Holtz taught me. I think early in my coaching career, I focused more on the things that I wouldn't do, just because our personalities are different. Uh, but there's no doubt that Coach Holtz had a tremendous impact on my life. Uh, he, he told some great stories. He had some great life lessons. He understood he understood how human beings work on a deep level. Um, and sometimes he had a harder time implementing that in terms of a coach. But, and I think those ended up being just undermining in terms of, of you know, just 
the way that his tenure at South Carolina ended. But you can't, you know, you can't deny the impact that he had on the program. We went from a one and ten team to his first year a zero and eleven team with a lot of injuries, and then had the best turnaround, one of the best turnarounds in college football history by going from zero wins to eight and four, and then nine and three the next year. And I feel like he set the stage for someone like Coach Spurrier to come in and and raise the bar even more. Um, so I think with I don't know with wisdom with with time comes a little bit of wisdom and more humility. So where I look back now at Coach Holtz, and I'm really grateful for the things that he taught me, um, and I'm super grateful for my time at South Carolina, that's for sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, you talk about sort of the turnaround, if you will, obviously zero wins in 99, what you guys did in 2000, 2001, out, back-to-back Outback Bowl victories. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously unprecedented, one of the best turnarounds in college ball history. Um, one of the guys, obviously, you talked about 99, tons of injuries, and one of the guys that suffered through those injuries was Phil Petty. And a guy that I think – is probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in South Carolina history. Um, that's just my opinion, fair or unfair. But um, talk about, you know, because obviously he was a guy I feel like that would lay it out. He's, you know, maybe I'm wrong in this again, but I could pair him almost to a Jake Bentley where he might be looked at differently by some fans. But I feel like he's a guy every single Saturday that would lay it out for you every single week to get a win. He would do whatever he had to do. And I think that just kind of showed from his playing style and maybe one reason why he was – you know, battled through some injuries. Just talk about your relationship with him and, you know, just sort of your thoughts on the player and the person that Phil Petty was. Well, Phil was a really close friend. And anytime he's in town and we can connect, we, we really enjoy our time together. We got to be close friends because we ended up rooming uh, together on the road. And I'll tell you what, some of the best memories in the world are going on the road with, you know, 80 of your best friends and staying in great hotels and playing football and, these these wonderful stadiums against a crowd that completely hates you um so phil and i got to experience that together uh, again we had a great relationship he was a he was a fantastic quarterback i think you're 100 percent right in your assessment of his place in south carolina history you know phil wasn't going to wow you with just an nfl arm but he had a really good arm and he threw the ball very accurately and phil was the extremely intelligent quarterback he knew where to put the ball uh, he knew how to read defenses and he was athletic enough to make plays and extend plays with his with his legs. So uh, he was a lot better than I was. There was a, definitely a reason why I was his backup. Uh, and, you know, uh, as a backup, I just try to do my best to, you know, supplement the guys in front of me and help them know that if they could do something, if I could help them think through the game the way I could think through it and they could do it with their athleticism, uh, then we were a better team. And I didn't need to do that with Phil, but as I got older with some of the younger guys, I tried to do that. Um, but Phil's a wonderful dude. Uh, he lives at the beach now. I wish he'd come into Columbia more so I could see him more. <laughs> no, absolutely, for sure. Um, so getting into that 2000 season, obviously, again, I talked to you before the show a little bit. We got to talk about the fade. Um, obviously, um, everyone knows the story. You guys are playing Mississippi State at home. Phil Petty goes out with an injury. It's fourth down. Um, you know, the legendary conversation, I guess, between you and Coach Holtz. Talk about just – that play, just kind of that whole saga, if you will. I know you've probably been asked a million times, but just that whole saga, you know, on third down, Phil Petty gets hurt. You know, you have that conversation with Lou Holtz, and then, you know, the rest is history. Just talk about how that sort of all unfolded. Yeah, you know, it's completely surreal that that even happened. Um, I think that the the gravity of the situation certainly didn't hit me at the time. Um, you know, again, we had just come off an 0-11 season, and, and we had uh, beaten New Mexico State, and the fans tore down the goalpost. And then Georgia comes into town with Quincy Carter, a Heisman Trophy candidate, 
throws five picks and we beat them. They tear the goalpost down. We beat a bad Eastern Michigan team. And then Mississippi State comes into town, and that's a, you know, a team that just played for the SEC championship and lost to Peyton Manning's or T. Martin Tennessee team. So they were a really good team. And I think that this was a game where Gamecock fans were kind of like, is, is this team for real or not? But all game long, their defensive coordinator was a guy named Joe Lee Dunn. And Coach Dunn was uh, renowned for bringing a lot of pressure. And that year, he had this thing where he'd play 11 guys in the line of scrimmage if you were a spread team. He'd press every single receiver, and he'd put six guys up if you are in a spread set, and he'd bring them. Well, they had been doing that a good bit of the game. And people forget the, the game that Phil Petty had. That they, they think about me in the fade. But Phil threw for over 300 yards that game, one of his, his best games as a Gamecock in terms of yards. And, uh, you know, they had been bringing a lot of pressure, and it was third and ten. And they brought a guy off the edge again. And Phil kind of eluded him and rolled to the right and got hit and undercut and sprained his ankle pretty good. And I remember looking at him and saying, okay, okay, Phil, get up. You know, I hadn't thrown a ball since halftime. And, uh, and he fell back down. And that's when I knew to go get my helmet. So I went and got my helmet. I threw about three balls to uh, one of the other quarterbacks there. And um, Coach Holtz walks up to me and says, hey, Eric, what do you like? And I said, Coach, let's throw 18. And 18 was our number for the fade. Outside guys were on the fade. And, and I, I kind of went into coach mode because when I was in high school, I called all the plays from the line of scrimmage. And if anybody pressed me, I oftentimes would check to a fade route. And so as a backup quarterback, you, you try to stay in tune to the game. And I knew what they were doing. And it wasn't any surprise that they were going to be impressed. And so I just said, Coach, let's throw 18. Now, he had his own version after the, the, the game, which was even better than mine. And a lot of people know me for that play probably because of the way he described it. But, you know, I went into the game and, and I saw Jamel. I was on the right hash on the 25-yard line. And I saw Jamel getting pressed by um, their worst corner. And not that he was bad, but he wasn't Fred Smoot, who was an NFL caliber corner and who was pressing James Atkinson at the time. And, and in my opinion, Jamel was our best receiver. So it was, I knew where I was going with the ball before the ball was snapped and uh, they snapped it back, and we were taught back then just to catch it, flip it, and throw it. I didn't have the laces, um, which we were taught just to let it go. So I didn't have the laces when I threw that ball. And, and I looked out of the corner of my eye, and I saw Jermel getting kind of jammed up just a touch. So I put a little bit more air on it than I normally would, which is something I did in high school. And at first I was like, oh, man, I hope I didn't overthrow him. But <laughs> the ball dropped in there. Jermel made a great catch. I mean, an absolutely wonderful catch. So, I, you know, my mom hugged him, I think, for three years after that play, every time she saw him. So, and the rest is kind of history. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of surreal to be known by a great play when you were a very average to below average player. Um, sometimes I feel bad about it because there's guys that had wonderful careers that were, you know, unbelievable players. I mean, I think about Andre Goodman. He was known by the push-off, and he had a 10-year NFL career. Um, and here's this kind of scrubby walk-on that's known by a great play. So, but anyway, I'll take it, I guess. <laughs> the uh, I was just going to say the legend that is college football. I feel like that's just kind of how it goes. Um, I, I was going to say, you know, it's funny because I, I was going to get to the 2018 Gamecocks, but you know, I know it obviously wasn't a whole game and only one play. But I feel like you're going to have you have a very similar place as Michael Skarnecki is going to have in South Carolina football history, where it's. You know, he, I mean, obviously, he's going to be remembered forever, I, I, in my, at least in my mind, for that Missouri game, for what he did, you know, a guy that hadn't really played at all, any meaningful snaps, and to come out and play the way he did. Again, obviously, it wasn't just one play, but I, I don't know. It, it just feels to me very like a very similar situation, if that makes sense, just a guy that, you know, hadn't really done a whole lot and comes out and really, 
you know, makes it happen and sort of wins a football game for you. I mean, in a, in a sense. So, I, I think what he did is way more impressive. You know, I mean, <laughs> he right. can't. No, I'm I'm being a hundred percent honest with you. Now, he came out and played a whole game, and then not only that, he played it in the rain. Yeah, and performed true. the way he did. So, uh, in my opinion, you know, what he did is, is, is 10 times better than what I did. All right. Yeah. Give yourself some credit now. I'm, I'm going to give you the credit at least. But, uh, um, <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think like a coach, and that's so, right. you know, that's how I evaluate things. And I'm like, okay, one guy made one pass, and then one guy led our team to a victory through the rain. <laughs> I'm going to give him the nod on that one. No, good point, good point. I'm going to get to that in just a second. But just wrapping up kind of your career, again, you talked about it before. You guys led South Carolina to back-to-back Outback Bowl victories. I mean, something that – I mean, South Carolina didn't win their first bowl game until 1995. So, obviously, something that had had not been done, that sort of sustained success, if you will, I don't think had been seen. Let's talk about kind of what it meant. You know, obviously, you know, Phil Petty was the guy. But, obviously, you had a play in that. You were on the roster, and it's it's one team, right? Talk about just sort of what that meant to you guys giving Gamecock Nation and being the first Gamecock team, I would say, to really set up what, you know, like you said, what Steve Spurrier was able to do and really kind of lay the foundation for Gamecock football as it is now. Sure. I mean, we can think about that in hindsight, but when you're going through it, of course, you can't predict the future or know that Mm -hmm. someone like Coach Spurrier is going to come. But I can say this, it was very meaningful. And that's the beauty of playing football or coaching football is that you take a group of individuals and you all have a common goal and you're all willing to honestly suffer for something hopefully important and meaningful. And every year it's a different struggle, but it is a struggle and it's hard. There's a reason that everybody doesn't play football and it's because it's very, very difficult. And when you put forth that much effort into something collectively with other people, you know, it's not surprised that people say, Hey, playing football, you know, I feel like I had 80 brothers on the team. And that's true to this day. When I see someone I played with, we, we embrace and we tell stories and it's because we suffered together. Um, and it was hard, but it was meaningful. And when you win, it makes it that much more exciting and meaningful. So to be a part of those two teams and to have that kind of success uh, was something that really shaped me as a person, uh, shaped me as a football coach. And I don't think I'd be the person that I am today without that experience. So I'm really, really grateful, to be honest with you, that I was a part of those two teams for the relationships I had, for what I learned as a football player that would lead to, uh, you know, me being a coach. And, and, you know, I'm, again, just very grateful. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, Any funny, really funny Lou Holtz stories that you can share with us? Anything in particular? Yeah, yeah, sure. I got plenty of those. But uh, (laughs) Coach Holtz was a really quick-witted dude. And, um, you know, very intelligent guy. One day we're at practice, and it was a really, really windy day of practice. And, you know, Coach is not a big guy. He's probably 5'7", 150 pounds soaking wet. And one of our O-linemen or D-linemen, I forgot who it was, a bigger guy, said, Coach, you better be careful. Uh, this, this wind may blow you away. And he goes, I got my wallet in my back pocket. I'll be fine. <laughs> he said it without, a, without missing a beat. Um, it was great. And then I remember <laughs> – it's funny to me now. It wasn't funny at the moment, but um, – you know, we were we just lost to Vanderbilt in 1999. We were 0-9. And we had Florida and Clemson left to play, and I think they were both top 10 teams at the time. And so it was evident to everyone that we were going to go 0-11. Well, we just lost, 
and again, remember the year before we went one and ten under Coach Scott, and Coach Holtz walks in the locker room and says, "Brad Scott deserves a trophy this damn big for winning one game with your sorry ass." And then he walked out of the room. So <laughs> those are two things that pop out in my mind. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's classic stuff. It it sounds like Lou Holtz, honestly. Um, good stuff. I'll tell All you right. what, though, uh, Phil Petty can do a better Lou Holtz than I can. Really, he's well, well, really good. We'll have to get him on because the 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 Lou Holtz impersonations are I mean they're they're all time. Somebody can really do one well. Those are all time, and those those will get a laugh no at anybody because he's a character. No show. No I, mean, I love watching him on the college football final show, and God, he was a character. Um, all right, so I want to talk to you obviously about your coaching days, but obviously we need to talk about 2018 Gamecock football. Sure. Uh, I know you still follow the program very very closely, and we've chatted before about you know the games and everything, but. Um, obviously, we're recording this Sunday night. Yesterday, South Carolina suffers uh, a 35-31 loss to Florida in not great fashion. <laughs> uh, 31-17 late in the third quarter. Um, Gamecocks blow the lead again, lose the game. I want to look at the season from kind of a 30,000-foot view, the whole perspective, and then we can zoom in sort of on what happened yesterday. Just talk about your overall analysis of the way this season has gone. Again, Gamecocks sit at 5-4. and four. You know, you've got Chattanooga and Akron left, so, I mean, let's just assume you're going to get to a bowl game and most likely seven wins. But just talk about your how your feelings on this season to this point, kind of what your, you know, your thoughts have been on it, and then we can zoom in on what happened yesterday at Florida, obviously. Yeah, sure. I think the season's gone about – I mean, not specifically like I thought it would, but generally, you know, uh, about the way I thought it would go. I know that – we won six games two years ago and then won nine games last year. But the manner in which we won those games, you know, really didn't convince me that we were a nine-win team. Um, and I, I know the hole that Coach Muschamp was left in terms of recruiting and how far we had fallen in such a short time to go three and nine, to lose to the Citadel. We were in a really bad spot, and Coach Muschamp had hired a very depleted roster. And that's not an excuse. I'm not making an excuse at all. I'm just telling you the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to a lot of people that know way more about it than I do. Um, so for us to go to a bowl game that first year, I thought was just unbelievable. I thought that we completely overachieved. And, I, and then we honestly doubled that the next year by overachieving even more. So I think this year is probably a, a better indication of where we really are as a program. Um, you know, I think seven and five is kind of how we performed this year. We've been up and down. Uh, we haven't been consistent. Uh, some of our best players, haven't uh, made plays all year long, but there's t- flashes of brilliance. There's flashes where you're like, man, we can really do this thing. You know, I've been a little surprised by the defense the past couple weeks, um, but it goes to show you how razor thin we were and how important building depth is for a program and how it takes years and years and years to do that. Um, so, again, I think that we're about where I thought we would be, um, but I think that what's more important than that is the trajectory of the program. Mm-hmm. And that's the word I use a lot is trajectory. And if you look at what Coach Muschamp has done from an organizational standpoint, he's completely overhauled recruiting. Um, we've got analysts now. We've got um, our, uh, a re- recruiting department that, that that's all they do, our, our, our graphics and Justin King and what they do and how we're interacting with young people nowadays has been completely overhauled. Yep. So, you know, in my mind, uh, where we're headed is great. Where we have to be as a fan base is patient. Because you you can't build it overnight. Uh, and I think that all the arrows are pointing in the right direction. 
what we can't do is a repeat of the past, which is let's recycle coaches every five years. Because mm-hmm. all you're doing is spinning your wheels. I think we've got a fantastic head coach. I think we've got a great staff. They're getting better. The players are getting better. And these things just take time. And it's not a linear progression. You know, like we think, okay, six wins, nine wins. Well, what's next? Well, it doesn't work that way. You look at any great coach, any great program, that's just not how it works. It's just going to take some time. So, um, you know, long story short, I think that we're headed in the right direction. And this year is, you know, a, a, one of those steps in that direction, but not maybe where everybody wanted them to be in the, in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree, agree with you, Eric. And it's funny, I, I'm, I told somebody this today, I, I'm not normally one that's one preaching patience, because it's very tough to be patient. But you know, I, it's sort of after yesterday's game, I, you know, I 100% agree with you. I, I don't think it's, you know, obviously right. And let's just dive right into it. Gamecocks lose in a game that I think will stretch many fans or the fan base's patience, if you will, you know, blowing that huge lead, some criticism for maybe some fourth quarter play calling, were they too conservative, what have you. Um, but, you know, I walked away from yesterday's game. Obviously I, I was in shock. Um, let me ask you, have you ever been a part of a game like that or seen a game like that where and I'm sure you have where, a team was up, looked so dominant for basically three quarters of the game, and then you find a way to lose in the last quarter. Just talk about your overall thoughts on that game and I mean, what you took away from it. Yeah, well, I wouldn't describe us as dominant for three quarters. I mean, I think that the run defense was clearly an issue the entire game and one that left me like not comfortable the entire game. Listen, I, you know, I, I coach ball. Anytime you go into a game and you feel like you can control both lines of scrimmage, you feel very confident. When someone's running the ball up and down the field against you, you never feel confident, not for a second. Um, so, you know, was it disappointing? Uh, sure, it was. Uh, was I surprised that they were able to come back and run the ball the way that they did? I wasn't because, number one, they had a lot of success running the ball in the first half. And number two, our defense was only getting more tired and only thin- and only thinner as the game went on. So I knew that they would have success running the football for sure. Um, you know, it was, a, it's just one of those things that happened where it's easy for fans. I'll say it's easy for fans. It's easy for a lot of us to say to point at one thing as being the issue. Okay. It was this, and that's why we lost the game, but every game there's multivariate reasons why someone loses and the, the, the blame has to be shared collectively, you know, across the board, not just the defense, but the offense and the coaches and even us fans play a small, small part in it what we do um and i think that the the knee-jerk reaction is that we got too conservative in the fourth quarter i disagree with that i mean that's not the reason we lost the game we may have got 25 percent more conservative 30 percent more conservative you got to remember the game was 31 to 14 is that right yeah we had 17 yeah. Yeah. 31 to 14 we scored okay but then they went and scored so right there we were up by 10 uh, there were 11 plays called between when it was 31 to 21 to when they took the lead on offense. Of those 11 plays, four were runs and five were RPOs and two were passes. Now, in the RPO game, if people understand RPOs, which is a run-pass option, you know that the defense, in, in some sense, dictates are we going to hand the ball or are we going to throw the ball based on a favorable box or a non-favorable box. Well, we were getting a very favorable box. And we called some really good football plays. And at the end of the day, we just didn't make the blocks up front um, to execute those. The same third longs that we made in the first half running the football, 
um, we weren't able to convert those on first and second, even third down in the fourth quarter. Were we a little bit more conservative? Yeah, I'd say 25 to 30% more conservative, um, which I would do up by 10 points. You know, I don't think that that's um, a stretch at all. Most people do that. And I've seen a lot of people win games by being a little more conservative in the fourth quarter. And I've seen some people lose games by being a little bit more conservative in the fourth quarter. I've never seen anybody win a game when they give up 350 plus yards of, of rushing. So to me, when I look back at the game, you know, the biggest culprit of the loss was, was the run defense, of course, you know, and that's probably, but again, in what is that 80% of the reason we lost 85? It's hard to quantify these things, you know? And I think it's easy for us to kind of point a finger at one thing and say, okay, that was it. Um, you know, when to stand back and say, okay, there was a lot of reasons why. Regardless, it was disappointing. I know that it, it stung a good bit because I think what was so hard about it is that you saw us look so good for so long. You saw the offense so sharp and look almost unstoppable. Uh, the defense was never sharp, but you're like, okay, we can get by. And so there was so much hope there. But, hey, you know, man, we could win eight games. We could contend with Clemson. All those things are in your heart. And then all of a sudden they get ripped out, you know. Um, and to me, it's so funny to see the dynamics that happen afterwards in terms of reactions. But, you know, that was my takeaway. We're, we're really young on defense. We're beat up. We're undersized up front. Um, we need some help in certain positions. Those things will be fixed with recruiting. Um, and that's where we are. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. I definitely agree in the sense there are many, many factors on why South Carolina lost that football game yesterday. And, you know, it doesn't all fall on the play calling. I mean, I, I told a buddy of mine, um, I, my personal feeling is anytime you score 31 in a game, I know it's 2018 and offensive football and the RPOs and all that stuff. But in my opinion, anytime you score 31 in a game, you, that should be enough to win, in my personal opinion. And anytime so, you give up 350-plus yards of, deep, of yeah. rushing on defense, you deserve to lose the game, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. the point. It's like it's really, really hard to win a football game when – you know, you give up that many yards and you're often sitting on the team, on the field. So, again, it's multivariate, but we should put the weight where the weight belongs. Yep. You know, yeah, I, I to me, I didn't, I, didn't have any, I didn't have any issue with the play calling. They called plays that worked in the first half. Mm -hmm. They called plays that were appropriate for the situation, what happened, and I won't get into the technical things. Um, you know, we missed some blocks up front on our stretch play. One time was to the right, one time was on the, to the left. And if we just get those blocks, which are, you know, pretty simple blocks, uh, they're 20-yard runs. So I thought the calls were good. The execution just wasn't there. I know that people will disagree with me, but, uh, you know, that was my take at least. Yeah, no, I understand. agree. I, I was just going to say, I think if you, showed, if you showed someone the stat sheet after the game with no score, you probably would have said that Florida probably won by two or three touchdowns. So you do make a great Easily. point, yeah, in the sense that, uh, you look at that statistically, I mean, South Carolina maybe never should have even been in the lead or it should have never even been that close because, like you're saying, anytime you give up 350-plus rushing yards, and that, that's just – that's an absurd statistic. I mean, no matter what level of football you're playing at. Um, well, in 30, 34 first downs, it's like you're never on the field. Yeah, that's crazy. You know? And then <laughs> offense is a rhythmic thing. And when you're standing on the sideline, and, I, and, and trust me, as a coach, and I'm an offensive play caller, you know, when you're watching a 15-play drive and you're standing there for six minutes of the fourth quarter or whatever have you, it's hard. Like, you lose your rhythm a little bit. And so, you know, again, it's a team game. Could we have done some things on offense better? Sure. We could have all done things better. Coach could have coached better. Everybody could have played better. 
you know, again, you can't really quantify it, but what we can't do is reduce it down to something as simple as play calling. That's not the reason we lost. I'm sorry. Absolutely. For sure. Um, you know, and the one point I was going to make as well, you know, speaking, I, I don't know if I can speak as well for obviously your time there, I believe so. But I mean, I just think anytime South Carolina has been a great football team, um, they've had great defenses. So Absolutely. I think it's definitely going to take turning that side of the ball around to get to the level that I know Gamecock fans want to be at for sure. Um, Absolutely. And you know, so, you need, you need eight defensive linemen nowadays. I mean, right. when those big guys get tired, they get tired and we're just so thin up front. Um, that it wears on them and we're undersized and we're playing a lot of freshmen I think against Ole Miss we played six freshmen in the fourth quarter um, you know how many safeties do we have I mean we're talking about a receiver going back to play safety that's like where we are um, so you know it is what it is again it's frustrating we should be frustrated we should want to win but at the same time we have to understand where the big arrow is pointing and I think the big arrows are pointing up Absolutely. Absolutely. So <clears throat> moving into, clo- you know, closing out the 2018 season, obviously, um, you know, really quickly, game, let's just assume Gamecocks go seven and five, go to a bowl. Your overall take on the job Will Muschamp is doing and sort of the trajectory of South Carolina football, because I have to imagine you at least get to seven and five, go to a bowl with the potential to be eight and five. The trajectory is still on a good path from there. Absolutely. And I think that that bowl game is important. Of course, we need to take care of business down the stretch. We need to beat Chattanooga and Akron, and those need to not be football games. I'd love to see us be more competitive with Clemson than we were last year. I feel like we were a little bit more competitive last year than we were the year before, which is a complete embarrassment. Um, But, you know, it's going to take a special game and a lot of help for us to be in that football game. They're just in a different place than we are right now. And if you're frustrated by that, I'd say a couple things. Number one, where was Clemson Dabo Sweeney's third year? who also inherited a much healthier program than Will Muschamp did. So, you know, patience is important for sure. Um, And I also think that the success of Clemson and Georgia is only going to help us right now in terms of building facilities, in terms of the expectations and wanting people to come in and, and, and the every year evaluation that we get in playing those two programs. We know exactly where we fall short. Um, it's painful. I don't like it. I hate losing to Clemson. I promise I hate it. I hate losing to Georgia too. But we get a, a yearly evaluation on where we have to get better and where we can close those gaps. So I'd love to see us close that gap a little bit. I think it's going to be hard this year because of our depths and injuries on defense. Um, but to be 7-5, and five, I, and if we can go out and win that bowl game and win eight games with this young team, um, you know, I think that that's a positive year for sure. And another step in the right direction, even though it didn't match the wins from the year before. Yeah, I mean, I know everyone takes the reaction. The sky is falling anytime South kind of loses. And I completely understand. I have been there myself. But, you know, I think you're definitely on to something. The program is in the right trajectory. And, you know, the crazy thing is, Eric, is if you go 7-5 and five and win the bowl game, the, the momentum and the energy is going to be nothing but positive with a good recruiting class and getting some big time recruits that we know of on campus and getting them enrolled and moving into next season. So, um, you know, I, I definitely I agree, agree with you there. It's just, it's tough because we live in social media world and oftentimes, you know, the, the discourse in football reflects the political discourse, which is outrage and, you know, clickbaits and all the kind of stuff that we even saw this past week with coach Moschamp and, the voting thing. And I mean, it's just, it's hard for people to take a step back and see the big picture because 
we're constantly fed negative things because negative things are what we click on. Negative things is what we remember. Um, and so, you know, sure, you can do that. Just know I don't think it really helps anything a whole lot. But give this guy time. Let's, let's give him some time and see what happens. And in a few years, I think we'll be in a better position to know, um, you know, where the really health of this program is. Yep. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. All right. Closing out before we let you go, Eric, obviously I'm going to talk about, you are a head coach at Hammond. Um, just talk about, you know, really quickly how you got into coaching, but obviously the job you're doing right now. And I guess sort of what's your favorite part of being a head coach? Yeah. Now I got into coaching because my dad was a coach and I love the game of football. I saw the difference that my dad made in a lot of his players' lives. And, um, and then I really enjoyed competing in the game of football and, I love chess. I love math. So I love the opportunity it forced me strategically to think through those things. But also, more than anything, the reason I'm a football coach is because I love being on a team. And I love being on a team with young people where we can use the adversity that we see uh, every single week uh, as as a teaching tool. Um, and we can talk about a lot of life lessons through the game of football. Um, and that's not just coach speak and our cliche. That's just true. And I think that's what I love about football. I think that's why you can do your podcast and I can do mine. And we have things like sports talk radio. It's because football is such a common point for people to be able to sit back and, you know, I say it's always, it's philosophy for non-philosophers. And I actually teach a philosophy class at Hammond School. Um, and so people can extrapolate every life's meaning from a, a football game, you know, everyday life's meaning from a football game. And we can meet on the common point about, uh, big topics like morals and integrity and things like chemistry. And these are important, like big subjects that the game of football gives us all like this platform to talk about. Um, so it's really, really cool that we can do that publicly as the society, but as a football coach, be able to do that privately with, you know, 40 kids, 50 kids, 70 kids, whatever you have you, and, uh, and be able to, you know, teach life, life lessons through that, I think is really, really rewarding for me personally. Um, so that's why I do it, and you know I've had a, we've had a good run at Hammond, and we've had a great season this year. We're, we're twelve and zero, and playing for wow. the state championship next Saturday. So wow. coming Saturday at Benedict, right right during the Gamecocks game. So I won't be able <laughs> to watch it. I'll have to DVR it and uh, watch it the next day. So hopefully I'll be in a really good mood when I watch it. But hey, that's we'll awesome. See. That's awesome. Congratulations, definitely for showing me undefeated record, not to jinx you or anything. I know you guys will get the dub on Saturday night, but uh, I know Jackson Muschamp, obviously, is your quarterback, Coach Muschamp's son. Um, you know, from, from I think I'm sure that has to be interesting from one guy to another. And I think I watched something where, where Coach Muschamp said, you know, he obviously stays out of it, respects everything. You know, he lets you do what you do best. Um, but what's that like? And obviously, knowing you're coaching Will Muschamp's son at the quarterback position, how, how has that been? It's been wonderful. I mean, Coach is one of the best parents we've had. He doesn't say a word. Um, he <laughs> says, hey, if I can ever help, let me help. I mean, he's kind of busy, you know. Um, <laughs> but Jackson is a uh, a really great kid. He's very intelligent. He has a high football IQ. Um, he was voted by his teammates as a captain, as a junior, which speaks to his ability to be a leader. And, um, you know, he's a really good quarterback, too. He's really developed nicely this past year. And um, it's been a lot of fun to coach him. Uh, he makes me look like a better coach than I am. So it's been a great experience so far. And, and you know, and Will has been, you know, awesome. And anytime we need anything, it, we just ask and, and he can help if, if he can. Uh, and sometimes it's just coming in and watching them do what they do. And, and, and that's been a great resource for us for sure. 
Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Well, again, appreciate you coming on. Obviously, the stories, everything. Best of luck with the game, uh, Hammond's game. Obviously, you guys in the state championship. Uh, I know you already said, but let Eric, let everybody know where they can find you. Obviously, the Fade In podcast and uh, tune in to all of your comments on social media. Yeah, no, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, um, at Eric Kimry. That's with a K, E-R-I-K-K-M-R-E-Y. Uh, and then Fade In is on, it's on, it's just Fade In with Eric Kimry. It's on iTunes. Um, I tweet it out, put it on Facebook all the time. You can kind of find it. Um, and every every time that we have guests on, I'll put it out on Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, you can follow the Buzzsprout link from there. So uh looks like uh, this Tuesday, I don't know when you're publishing this, but we're going to have, uh, Brad Lawing back on with Andre wow, Goodman awesome. and Jeff Grant. Jeff Grant's the former quarterback. So should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on today. No, no, absolutely, man. Great stuff. Legendary stuff. And that obviously is a legendary lineup as well. So yeah, everybody go tune in again, the fade in podcast. Absolutely fantastic. Eric does great work. And obviously on social media, I'm sure everyone listening to this already follows Eric and has a clue about who Eric Kimry is, but be sure to tune in. You obviously Eric gives some great insight on Gamecock football and things happening around the program and maybe uh, shed some realistic light on things happening that maybe fans don't comprehend or maybe don't want to comprehend. So again, well, no, man, it was a pleasure. It. I really, yeah. Yeah. Congrats to you guys on your uh, latest move. And I know that y'all are doing a great job as well. And I think that there's, there's room for a lot of good media um, about Carolina football. And, and I think podcast is probably the next wave of, of where people can catch that on demand. And, and so Chris, you guys do a good job as well. So I, you know, excited for y'all and your future as well. you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.